Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am so thrilled today to be joined by Chris Anderson, who's led the TED brand since 2001, overseeing its transformation from an annual conference to a nonprofit with global reach, sharing the extremely popular TED Talks, of course, their podcast, and of course, TED Ed. You know, it's really important that the the brand is so synonymous with everyone knowing that it's it's accessible and it's free for everyone to check out. So that's what's such an important part of this brand. Now, Chris's new book comes out in January 2024. I have it right here with me. It's called Infectious Generosity, The Ultimate Idea Worth Spreading. And so we're so thrilled he's here today. Chris, welcome to Motivational Mondays. It's great to be here, Corey. Thank you. It's our honor to have you here. So I did tell you a few seconds ago before we started that that your book is something that my soul was craving right now. And I want to just sort of start out with this point. We're in a very divisive time, probably one of the most divisive times I've ever witnessed on my time on this planet. And it's, it's just chaos everywhere. And we're all fighting over everything from, you know, who took the cap off the toothpaste to, you know, bombs dropping. And we're just fighting over everything. Your book seems to sort of try to give us an antidote to that. So share a little bit, if you will, what was the the purpose and the message of you writing this book and what is the correlation to that? Yeah, I think it is exactly that. Um, you know, I'm a, a tech optimist, or at least that's always how I saw myself. And um, when, the, when the internet took off in the late 90s, I saw it, as did many other people, as this incredible tool that was going to bring the world together. You could see people anywhere in the world. You know, maybe we would get over our sort of uh, our various tribalisms and start understanding each other and connecting with each other. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of dreams that that would happen. Mm. The story of the last 10 years on the Internet has kind of been the opposite of that. And it's it's been crushingly disappointing, I would say. And I guess the main culprit is social media. I don't think anyone intended it to tear the world apart, Mm. but the unintended consequence of certain things about social media's design has led to that. We are using it to amplify voices of people who want to show how scary the world is, want to show how scary and annoying and angry making the other side is. And it's forcing us into sides. It's forcing us to pick sides almost and to mm-hmm. uh, just view other people, not just with disagreement, but with anger and fear and hate and sometimes even disgust. Um, that's terribly, terribly destructive. So in, at one level, the book is an attempt to try to reclaim the internet as a, as a force for good in the world. And, um, you know, I think it's doable. I, I, I really think it's doable. I think it's a battle that can be won. There actually is so much good that's happening online that is being shared. And there are so many ways that, in principle, the internet could could make a big difference that that I think it's it's worth trying to explicitly 
address this. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been on a on a journey the last few years. It started with something that happened at TED, and and it's kind of gone on from there to convince me that we can actually dial up generosity in new ways in the in the moments that we're in, and literally change how we think about each other. So you mentioned that it happened through something that occurred at TED. Would that be the mystery experiment that you're referring to? Well, so that was that was part of it. Uh, okay. We can talk about that in a minute if you like. Yeah. But the, the main, the initial thing was literally just the decision at TED to give away our content. Mm. Um, we were, you know, we're a nonprofit. We had this valuable conference, and it was it was 2006. It was way back when online video came along, and suddenly you could share stuff like a TED talk online but it was it was a little bit scary for us to do that because we thought it might stop people coming to the conference why would you yeah. pay if the mm. talks were free we did it anyway was it an act of generosity in some way it was we're a non-profit we felt we had an obligation to do it and what what happened blew us away it, far from yeah. reducing demand for the conference it actually accelerated it but you know these these talks went viral they spread around the world and um so many people started to become our friends who we had never heard of mm-hmm. like translators took ted talks into 100 languages people all over the world shared them the whole thing spread by word of mouth there was no paid marketing and then it led to us um deciding okay if we if that worked let's give away our brand too mm. so tedx we had the, the X on it, and it, it's resulted in 3,000 annual events around the world that are producing God knows how many videos every year. It's really, mm. it's something that you couldn't do pre-internet in any way, yeah. and um, it's something you couldn't do in business terms. Like, I've got 10 people in New York overseeing 3,000 global events mm. that, that generate huge value for, for dead and for the world. So, yeah. you know, so, so it got me thinking that in the internet age, the rules about what you give away and what you hold on to have fundamentally changed. And, and it applies not to just to TED, it applies to any organization, any individual. Mm-hmm. And you do make a reference in the book. You were saying, you say in there how, like, if you were to do this pre, pre sort of like internet age, you would be burning CDs and you'd have to sell them basically because or else you'd be not that you'd have to, but you know, that would be uh, a cost, a really big cost to then produce DVDs or CDs, which would have been the way that you would have shared this info prior. And of course, I mean, to get them to people, they'd have to buy them most likely. So yeah, it is a very big pivotal shift. And we've had a few, quite a few TED talks on this, uh, on this platform on our show. And it is fascinating the level of mentorship, if you will, that you get from some of these amazing speakers who, in your own words, they, they could be actually paying, uh, getting people to pay for them in many cases to hear these really profound speeches. So it's it's fulfilling a need, clearly, that people are are definitely getting into and, and are appreciative of. Now, you talk about the rethinking generosity as well in this connected age. And when you say connected, I assume that is the digital space you're referring to. Yes. So how can we rethink generosity as a tangible means of making the world a better place as opposed to it seemingly being something kind of elusive, opening a door for someone, you know, is that, is that the equivalent? That's right. Yeah. You know, the generosity I was taught in Sunday school (laughs) was, um, you know, be kind to people, but do it secretly. Right. It, It was, it was, it was always meant to be, you know, not about you at all, right? You're just doing it for the goodness of it. Mm. And I think that's made it very complicated for people in the age that we're in now. Because, you know, when someone, I don't know, gives away something online, are they promoting themselves or are they being generous? And we get 
confused about it. I, I think one of the things we need to do is just embrace a more nuanced form of generosity. The truth is that there has always been something in it for the giver to give. Even if it's just scratching your conscience and, and feeling better about yourself, there's always been a reason, a, an additional reason for you to give other than the quote, pure goodness of it. And I think that's fine. And I think we should embrace it. I think we should move away from this world where we're constantly nitpicking people's good acts and saying, you know, they did that, but they could have done better. Mm. Or did they really address the real problem? Or were they just doing it for their own self-interest? That, that sort of cynicism is destructive. And I think we're at a moment where it's healthy to say, let's look for the good. You know, if there is some good intent in someone's act of giving, embrace it and celebrate it. That mm -hmm. is a form of generosity. And when you do that, you see generosity all around us. I mean, it is amazing that we're in an age where we can get copious amounts of the things that we really love and care, like video, music, you know, or art of all kinds, knowledge, software. It's all they're you know, available in incredible quantities. The fact that you can go online right now and ask an AI to paint the most amazing paint picture you could imagine, and it <laughs> yeah. will do it in 30 seconds. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an incredible time to be alive. And mm -hmm. um, and so I think I think that it starts right there. It starts by doing two things. One, recognizing that we can today give away incredible things in unlimited quantities. How amazing is that? Mm. And two, that we should, if we embraced it as generosity, so many things get better. We get better about how we think about the online world. We, we're more likely to, for example, support artists and others who are maybe struggling to make a living. We should be helping them on Patreon or tipping them or supporting them because they are being generous. The stuff we're getting from them is beautiful. We're fortunate. And, um, and so shifting to that mindset of generosity can be all around us, is all around us, and we can actually play our part. And by the way, when you, when you, when you make a generous act, a bold and risky generous act, what comes back is often absolutely amazing. Mm. I mean, certainly in Ted's experience, every time we've given stuff away, we have been blown away by what happened next. Yeah. And I, I just think that's that's the age that we're in. And it's because gifts carry with them the most important currency of our age, which is reputation. Mm. You know, yeah. if you're yeah. someone who gives away amazing things online, sooner or later, the whole damn world will know about it. And that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, it reminds me of one of the stories I've always heard about the actress Carol Burnett, which is um, that she, when she was starting out, what changed her life was she was accepted into a art program, a theater program, and she was from a very poor family. And it was going to be a $500 fee for her to get into the school, which is today no money at all for education. But at that time, probably was like the 40s or something, it was a lot of money. And she couldn't afford it. She was devastated. And one day she got the acceptance letter that she was to start her classes at a certain date. And she, to this day, she says, and she's almost like, you know, 90 years old. To this day, she has no idea who paid for her tuition. But it literally changed the trajectory of her life. And she changed the history of television. And I always look at that as an example of what you just said. You know, this person, whoever did this, humbly sat back and said, that was a good decision and I changed the world, but it wasn't from a self-promoting place. And look at the outcome. It's a it's a really profound, you know, example it of is, what you just said. It is profound. And but the fact that you're sharing this story now may encourage others to do the same. We're, we're in an age 
where stories like this need to be told because the stories that are often told are ugly stories. Mm. We have a whole media industry that is biased towards telling things that are scary and ugly and not really uplifting. And so we think the worst of each other. You've just told a story that helps people think the best about each other. That is beautiful. That is powerful. Mm. Yeah. And you bring up again, of course, the dark side of the internet and we can't avoid it. And I shared with you too, before we started that, you know, I, I sometimes get so inundated with the current news cycle, but you're right. That machine is built to sensationalize what is the most frightening, the most salacious, the most terrifying, because that's how you sort of, that's the addiction being fed of, of the public, you know, needing to see that. So how do you navigate that? I mean, do you, do we just turn off the TV? Do we disconnect our internet? Like what is the balance in your opinion of how do we find the medium? I think several things. I think one, um, it's worth going out and looking for news sources, media sources that can show the better side of life, you know, and there are actually lots and lots of them out there mm. um, from there's a site called Future Crunch, there's Upworthy, there's just lots and lots of, of um, uh, people who are trying to provide alternative media mm. narrative. I think online, it's important to be really careful who you follow and where you spend time that actually are incredible people online who can really make your day. They can fill your day with, with wonder and insight and so forth. You know, there's a guy on X, uh, an Italian guy. His name is Massimo or, uh, Orgiasso. Um, I think he's at Rainmaker1973, I want to say, is his, is his handle. If you, if you only followed him on X and no one else, you'd, you'd have an amazing time on that platform because every, every day, despite his health issues, he's, he's putting out just wondrous knowledge about the world that we're in, just fascinating science, endearing stories, incredible images. And there are so many people actually like that who are there. They, they deserve to be amplified and, and followed. And more of us who do that, it will actually shape the algorithms that X and the other social media use because they are watching what what people do. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a battle right now. And the fact that most people spend their time sort of absorbed by the angry feeds that beast. We've, we've got to try and reverse that, that cycle. Mm -hmm. So I would just say, you know, carefully curate who you are following, be ready to mute or block people who are spreading poison and do all you can to celebrate those who aren't like consider uh, supporting them financially, but certainly just like them, like, you know, click, click like and, mm -hmm. and repost what they're doing. And, you know, let, let's have these sort of counterwaves going. And it's, this stuff can happen so easily. There's this wonderful woman, an Australian woman, Catherine Barrett, who in the early days of the pandemic posted, you know, she, she everyone was feeling sad and people were locked in. And, um, she noticed someone in her building had left a box of tissues and the kind of building common space with a little note saying, you know, please help, please help yourself to one, i.e. I know people are tearful, you know, um, let's, let's cry together, so to speak. She found it so moving. She took a picture of this thing, put it online, created a Facebook group that she called the kindness pandemic. Hmm. This thing grew so fast, it crashed like 500,000 people joined, and it's going to this day. It's full of, beautiful, ordinary stories of human kindness. Mm. And they are inspiring and they, they are actually happening every day all around the world, uncelebrated. 
And it, when you read that and you see how people actually do behave to each other, it, it changes how you think of, of who we are. So mm. there's, there's dozens and dozens. I mean, there's so much happening there. It's just not what we usually focus on. We should. Yeah. And that's interesting because I was actually, my next question, which you just answered with an example was, you know, how you talk about the power of small acts in the book, uh, small acts of kindness, creating significant impact in the book. So that is a a really wonderful example. And I gave my first, uh, I was very uh, excited. I gave my first keynote speech to a college um, two weeks ago. And um, I was trying to warn the students that, you know, to be careful of that rabbit hole of the, the 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 divisiveness on the social media platforms and how people can paint false narratives of which you then compare yourself to. The life looks fabulous, but it's a facade. You never know if it's real or not. And um, and as soon as I got done the talk, I went back to my hotel room and there I was fighting with someone on the internet about politics. <laughs> it's so hard to actually follow your own advice because you get sucked in so easily. So um, that's good advice because we need to know how to navigate both worlds of the good parts of the internet and the stuff that we need to stay away from. So <laughs> that's a good advice. Now, you also talk about the idea of people being skeptical in uh, some parts of your book when it comes to our decision to act. Um, one of the examples I love is when you talk about, I think it was in India where there was a train coming and there was a girl whose foot was stuck on a track and a gentleman just instinctively jumped in to kind of protect her and shield her. You make a distinction of, even if we don't actually do it, the fact that we may have emotively thought about it is also progress and it's also a good sign. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, that was an incredible story. The guy literally put his body over the girl, the train thundered overhead. She was all right. He got up and went away without even getting her name. And, you know, the video of this went viral in, in India. And um, so it was just like a humble carpenter, I think. And he just said, look, I just, I, I, I just, it just came naturally. And, and I think that isn't a, so, so, so the reason that infectious generosity is possible is because of the incredible way that humans are wired. And there are really two things that I think are worth paying attention. One is just this fundamental urge that we have to help someone else in need. Now, mm. for most of us, you know, I mean, there are countervailing urges, like, I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's a, a good example. Yeah, you know? that one. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so and so, in many cases, people wouldn't throw themselves onto the track, but they would still feel this intense feeling of, oh, my God, that poor girl. I wish I, I must do something, you know, and, and the fact that that feeling is there is when you think about it, a weird thing. I mean, we're supposed to be, if you, you know, the whole story of evolution is that, you know, we're, we're wired for survival. Why would desires to risk your life for someone be part of our survival? Well, mm. they, they have become part of who we are. And, and the answer is complicated, but it's, you know, it's, it's fundamental to human success overall is that we have these desires to cooperate with each other. So that's one one important part of the riddle. The mm. second part is that we respond to acts of generosity with generosity of our own. And this is where you mentioned the mystery experiment. This is one of the key things that kicked off this book is that I had this inside view of a crazy experiment that was done when a couple of people in the, in the TED community were interested to give away $2 million in an eccentric way. They, 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 um, they wanted to give it away like 
$10,000 at a time to strangers on the internet. And they want, they thought that it would be an important social experiment. So we wrote, so Elizabeth Dunn from the University of British Columbia came and was part of this. She's given a wonderful TED talk about uh, generosity. And, um, and so we, we, we could see this whole experiment. I recruited people on Twitter saying, Hey, do you want to come and be part of a s- stressful, weird, Social experiment, you know, no no hint really as to what it was. And we had a bunch of people apply to the mystery experiment from seven countries. And hmm. or rather we we picked in the end 200 people from seven different countries. They each got ten thousand dollars. It was like this big scam email, you know, hey, oh, congratulations, yeah. we'd like to wire ten thousand yeah. dollars into your PayPal account. Yeah. <laughs> it was the hardest part of the experiment. They they eventually took the money, and the only rules were that they had to spend it in three months and that they had hmm. to tell us what they spent it on. Hmm. So Amazingly, against what traditional economic theory would say, which is that they would spend it on themselves because rational agents do that, two thirds of the money was spent generously. So, you know, it was, mm. I mean, some on family, on friends, on strangers, on all manner of different causes and nonprofits and charities, two thirds of the money. Even though for, for a, lot of, a lot of these people, you know, 10,000 was potentially even a life-changing amount for many of them. Mm. So, and I was so moved by the responses because what people basically, I mean, after the experiment was over, I, I, I wrote to people and said, come on, tell me more. Why, why did this happen? And what people said was that, one, the act of being given the money made them feel seen. And they wanted to pass on that feeling of being seen to others. They felt that because this couple had been generous, they themselves should be generous. And it's like this visceral biological thing. And it's, it's, mm. and it's in everyone. And so that means that once waves of generosity have started, they tend to keep going because people go, oh, you've been kind. Yeah, that it triggers something in us. And it's not even being the recipient of generosity that can trigger it, seeing someone else be generous can actually trigger it. Mm. So there's this feeling of sort of uplift that it that it gives you that's been scientifically studied. Yeah. So put those pieces together and then think <clears throat> we're in the connected age. Well, wait a sec. One, there's so many different new ways to be generous and those acts of generosity are likely to have ripple effects and be passed on in one way or another. Two, just seeing a video of someone being kind is amazing. So, you know, you look at someone who not everyone may like, but I I think is an amazing person. So Mr. Beast on YouTube, he's one Mm -hmm. of the top YouTube influencers. He's got 200 million subscribers. Quite a lot of his videos are basically about acts of generosity. And when I talk to my (laughs) nephews and nieces or whatever, or people uh, in their teens, say, they love Mr. Beast. And it's teaching them that kindness and generosity can be cool, can be fun. Let's do it. People love it. I think, you know, there's this whole counter argument that the pendulum is starting to swing. If you look at what the next generation is passionate about, I think there's a lot of people just sick of the meanness of the connected world and eager to show a different way. And we can Mm -hmm. take huge hope from that. Yes, I was going to, when you were speaking about that, I I thought about the generational differences and I thought about the millennials and Gen Z, which you do talk about in your book. And that's a really big demographic for us too, as far as the educational sector goes, because they are a very distinctly different generation. That What Gen Z specifically is almost saying, you guys had your chance. We don't like, we don't like some of those constructs that you set up. I don't want to work 15 hour work days. I don't want to die at my computer. I, you know, I think that 
corporations should be more socially responsible. So I think that pendulum swing is greatly in part to the current generations rejecting a lot of things that they feel were not healthy necessarily for society. Would you say that's a, a good assessment of why that pendulum is swinging? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's it's immensely and richly and deeply complicated, but mm. uh, I think that that is definitely uh, a huge part of it. And um, whatever criticisms my generation might make of Gen Z, the the idealism and the and the desire to live a life that is not just about material well being, but it's about making a better world and mm. and and not being owned by money. I think that that is beautiful and important and exciting. Yeah. And I find it always strange too, when you have like sort of like the, a, a baby boomer generation, if you will, or even Gen X have a problem with the Gen Z generation. Because if you look at the hippie movement, for example, of the sixties or the whole summer of love, and you look at the Gen Z generation, they really are kind of bookends as far as what they were asking for society, what they were asking of institutions and corporations. They just happen to, instead of have, you know, picket signs and flowers in their hair, <laughs> they just have the internet, but they're leading very similar organized revolutions against things that they don't like about society. So I think, um, you know, if you look at their their stance on gun control in the U.S. or healthcare or just, you know, the work environment, work hours, I mean, they really are leading the same kind of charge as past generations. So I think that was, I think that's often overlooked. They're not that that different other than how they utilize the um the communication avenues. And that brings me to a question about education as well. So when it comes to education, I know you also have some initiatives there working with obviously TED-Ed. So in what ways do you get involved with educational institutions or encourage those communities to also foster a more advanced culture of infectious generosity? Um, we don't have anything formal in that regard. I mean, our, our big initiative is TED-Ed, which actually funnily enough, only exists because of another case of kind of a generosity experiment. Mm. Um, you know, we back when we saw that um, giving away stuff seemed to work, the, one of the first things we did was start a fellows program and invited, you know, talented people to come to TED for free and to see what happened. And uh, one of those early people, a guy called Logan Smalley, had this idea, hey, you should be doing an education program. He was an educator and uh, he had this whole idea. So he basically, you know, rewarded us for his fellowship by mm. starting what has been one of the most impactful programs we have. Not that many people who don't have kids even know about TED, Ted Ed, but, um, you know, they, they do these short sort of, you know, three to five minute video animations that are just designed to spark curiosity and they're used in so many schools there's there's like a couple nearly i think a couple thousand of them now hmm. um and we find great teachers and give them a chance to give their best lesson and then give a use a voice actor and animators and so forth to make it into something that will grow and some of the teachers have told us that, you know i've i've been working for 30 years and i've probably you know coached a thousand kids or whatever, you know, or a bit more during that time. And in the first week of this TED Ed, my TED Ed lesson going out, you know, you're giving me a hundred thousand kids. And um, <laughs> wow. it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's just such, it's such an amazing era we're in, mm. where, where great knowledge, great creativity can spread so beautifully. So anyway, so that's our, our main thing. I mean, look, I think mm -hmm. 
I think generosity is often taught at at school today in different in different ways. I think if there was one lesson that I could inject into every school syllabus everywhere in the world, it's this, and it's it's a it's a surprisingly little known fact about the science of generosity and the science of happiness, which is that they're connected. One of the big drivers of happiness is generosity. People who give are happier. It's, it's just absolutely clear from the evidence that they're happier. And in fact, it's also clear that the act of giving makes people happier. Mm-hmm. There's causality there. It's not just correlation. And yet in daily life, we forget that. It, you know, it's it's in, in the world, in the blizzard of sort of online commercial communication and shopping and all the rest of it, all, all of the emphasis is on, you've got to buy this, you've got to do this, you've got to be this. And we, and we don't have time to listen to that softer voice in us that's whispering that says, you know, maybe there's another way to find meaning and deep satisfaction in your life. Mm. And so people, whatever else you do in your lives, dear children, listening <laughs> to this, plan on being, find a way to be kind, like build kindness into it. And it doesn't mean you have to give away huge sums of money. It may not be anything to do with money. It may just be kind acts. You can be generous by being hospitable to people, by just by looking at people who feel unseen and giving them your attention, by connecting people, by offering access to other people you know, or by bridging in the age that we're in, the generosity of going online and being courageous and saying, I'm going to stand in the middle here. I'm going to not be pushed into one side or the other. I'm going to listen respectfully to people I disagree with and try to find a different way of communicating. That's an incredibly important act of generosity. All these things, even though they they can be hard and and uncomfortable and so forth, when they're done repeatedly, they they, they bring with them the deepest satisfaction and and happiness. And I feel like it's taken me my whole life to learn this, but I feel like I'm, I'm finally really learning this and feeling this. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.